HMRC, have you done this HMRC thing where, where you have to say, my voice is my password? And it's supposed to, if you've got a cold, if you've had a tooth out, whatever, it's supposed to recognise your voice. So instead of a pin or whatever, oh you say, my voice, my voice is my password. Have you been watching Mission Impossible again? No. Are you confusing the HMRC with a Tom Cruise film? Believe, I just, I want to just b- Believe me, no. Listeners, and welcome to the Unions 21 podcast with me, Simon Sapper. And me, Becky Wright. And with us today, we're delighted to welcome Amy Leversidge from the FDA. Amy, hello. Hello. Well, I mean, in this podcast, listeners, we're going to be talking about many things. We're going to be talking about uh, harassment of senior civil servants. We're going to be talking about Brexit. We're going to be talking about our commission for a collective voice. But just right from the get-go... Becky, I imagine our listeners are puzzling. Association of First Division Civil Servants. First Division Association. First Division Association. I mean, Nifty I, with your feet, well, your it's members. Surely it's the Premier League now. Yeah. Not the first. <laughs> yeah, is this where we both show how unmillennial we are? Where we go, oh, First Division, how is that to do with football? Aren't we funny? <laughs> Amy, for, the list, for our listeners who don't know, describe the FDA and, and what it does and what its members do. Uh, so the uh, the FDA, um, which interestingly now doesn't actually stand for First Division Association, we are just FDA. Um, Food and Drink Administration. No, no, right. that does come up sometimes, and I do occasionally get people tweeting me thinking that I'm somehow involved <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in the American in the administration. Yeah. Okay. Amy, you're keeping um, up the Trump administration and not been telling us. Um, that's what some people on Twitter. I imagine oh if they looked through my Twitter feed, they would realise that that is not in fact the case. <laughs> FDA, we represent senior civil servants and professionals. Um, so we present, uh, represent people from HEO um, in, in the civil service. Higher executive officer. Well done. Um, right up to permanent secretaries. Um, so we've got quite a lot of um, very senior uh, people and we represent across all government departments, HMRC and CPS as well. So we've got, we've got a lot of lawyers um, and a lot of tax inspectors um, and lots of policy people in Whitehall. So it's a very diverse and interesting membership. So kind of like, it's like big, big brains. Yes. And actually, you know, bigger than average pay packets, not the sort of ground that you'd think would be fertile territory for a union. But your membership is, is growing. And as, you know, before it was growing, it was stable for ages, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's interesting because when you look at union membership across the piece, the majority of union members now are middle class graduates um, and working in the public sector. So maybe it's not um, what you'd first expect. And we've actually got one of our biggest sections of membership that's growing very, very quickly is our fast stream. So we represent the civil service fast streamers, which are uh, Oxford and Cambridge uh, sort of graduates uh, coming in. So again, you wouldn't really expect them to be union members, but really enthusiastic and know the value of being in the Just union. Just as an aside, are they all Oxbridge? No, not all of them, but that is that's a... Says, that's a says the, the geo from York, <laughs> like getting a little bit like... I think we're, I think we're beyond the fast stream kind of um, <laughs> Yeah, but there's other um, reasons we're not in the fast stream. <laughs> So, but seriously though, I mean, okay, public expenditure cuts affect, affect everyone in, in, mm-hmm. in the public sector. It must make life very difficult for FDA members as it, as it does for, for all public se- sector unions. But these people are 
very gifted in very influential positions seriously what's what's the drivers for union membership um, I think the same across every other uh, every other industry and every other workplace you want um, a collective voice for somebody to go in and negotiate your pay and your terms conditions and pensions and they see a value in that not that it happens very often with our members but you do want um, somebody to represent you if you if you are in need employment advice or if you're in bother at work and that's the same in if you're a senior civil servant if you're a midwife or if you're a teacher you know you could always end up needing some employment advice and so you want to go to the experts but we also do a lot of work around our career development for our members try to be there for the good times as well as the bad and probably one of the things that members value us the most for is that we see ourselves as the voice of civil service professionalism and, and really standing up for the impartiality and integrity of civil servants which they can't always do they can't always defend themselves oh i was going to say i think this is one of the really interesting things about your membership as you think about it in terms of collective voice which is that the idea of putting your head above a parapet being very difficult we often think about it in precarious kind of work and absolutely we should think about it in terms of precarious work but your members as well to put their head above the parapet on things I mean it is career crushing as well isn't it and and you see your general secretary and you and your colleagues kind of basically talking to the media when your members can't because of the types of jobs they do where they're placed and and you know what the 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 subject is about absolutely and in civil servants um, are governed by the civil service code and so they um, need to give impartial advice to, to to ministers and to to government and to implement the government's vision but they can't speak out politically so they do need voice a collective voice to, to stand up for them and certainly you know in the last year or so we've seen the attacks uh, on civil servants and, and on the civil service mm. just growing and growing uh, what we're getting is a lot of attacks from from both the, the, the right wing for the, with um, Brexit issues um, and the left wing as well, where people are, they don't like the decisions that are made. So rather than actually attacking the politicians, they're attacking the civil servants instead. Now, civil servants can't defend themselves, but we can defend them. But there have been times when it's not just left, left wing or extreme left wing or extreme right wing in, in society attacking your members, it's been the politicians themselves. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And and I think this is really interesting. So, you know, we've talked about the launch of our commission on collective voice in the 21st century. And one of the themes that's already coming out is how people tend to think it's just about pay, that collective bargaining and collective voice is just about, you know, your pay and holidays and things like that. And it always has been, but increasingly so, it's not just about that. It's about issues to do with flexible working, parental leave, it's to do with CPD and your access to career development. But also, and I think this is really interesting in terms of the FDA, bullying and harassment. And Amy, could you talk a little bit about the work that you guys have been doing on that? Yeah, I mean, this is um, this is actually a really interesting piece of work. With, with our members, um, obviously being senior civil servants, as you can imagine, that they work very closely with, with ministers. But this uh, gives us a bit of a problem in terms of an employment context because ministers aren't employed. So they're working in a department very closely with civil servants, but they are not employees of that department. We represent uh, House of Commons staff as well, senior staff in the House of Commons. 
And again, they work very, very closely with MPs and providing them with uh, with impartial advice and uh, working on uh, committees and, and, and being clerks um, for the committees. Again, very close proximity to MPs who aren't employed by the House of Commons. Obviously, they are elected in the same way that ministers are chosen by the Prime Minister and there's constitutional um, protections there. Now, um, we've seen stories break around MPs sexually harassing, bullying their staff. Newsnight ran a massive series of stories starting in March this year and, and that's still been going on um, right through the summer around clerks in the House of Commons, which are which are our members who are being bullied by MPs. Um, and we've had stories of obviously ministers having to resign um, because of um, sexual harassment um, claims. Now, this is a really, really complicated issue because in uh, both of those employment contexts in the civil service and in the House of Commons, the procedures for actually reporting uh, and, and dealing with your bullying harassment or sexual harassment complaint are just non-existent, basically. Uh, if you were to make a complaint against a minister, um, for example, there is no set procedure for you to do that. And even if there were, the, and the case, you know, there was a case bound to answer and you were sexually harassed, Eventually, the person that's going to make a decision on whether that minister is sanctioned is the prime minister. Yeah. Now, as we know from recent uh, recent times, whether or not the prime minister will actually act and will dismiss that minister depends entirely on their political power and the minister's political power and the prime minister's political power at yeah. that particular yeah. time. So that um, this member of staff, that civil servant, is completely at the will of party politics and a, a political power. In the terms of the House of Commons, they, if they want to put in a complaint against an MP, that's also quite complicated because that will end up going to the Committee on Standards of MPs, which are made up of MPs themselves. I want to ask you, what, yeah. what as far as the FDA is concerned, is the remedy to that? But before mm -hmm. you answer that... Yeah. I, I just kind of, I mean, we're talking about quite extreme cases in terms mm -hmm. of in terms of harassment, distress, and all, and all the uh, all the rest all the rest of it. But it seems to me that that actually, I'm just sitting underneath that in terms of the level of severity, perhaps is is the fact that the impartiality of the service as a whole is being it's being pulled towards destruction because it's kind of blame the messenger, don't take political responsibility for decisions that you've made that actually prove to be unpopular or wrong. I think that, that there's quite a few that there's quite a few things in there. I mean, certainly we've been saying for a long time that we think that the integrity and the impartiality of the civil service is being undermined by these constant um, attacks, and, and we are seeing situations where even at a dispatch box we had a minister that made comments about the impartiality of civil servants in the treasury, and that was that was astounding to to, mm -hmm. to see that. Um, and there is an element of people don't like the decisions that are being made and again it's all about that political power and the political mm -hmm. dynamics they don't necessarily they might not want to to actually attack the, the, the politician but they can attack the civil servants in that politician's department and so we're sort of seeing um seeing that happen and in terms of um harassment and bullying harassment uh, in the departments we want to see with both the house of commons and the civil service a fully independent procedure so that's completely independent in terms of putting in an investigation and getting somebody else outside yeah. to investigate that but then also and this is the trickier part having sanctions, sanctions. determined independently well, i mean it should be you know, it's too fanciful i suppose to suppose that that actually you'd have an independent body that could sanction elected members i mean before the localism act in 2011 or 2012 
there were local authority standards committees, uh, which which actually which had an independent chair and could actually sanction elected members. Mm -hmm. So the principle, if you like, has been established until the, the, the then coalition government did away with it. But yes, you can you can see how that degree of independence would be needed, yeah. and that degree of, of power would be needed. And it is an extreme. You know, it is right that you know that you've said it's extreme. These are not. This is not suddenly. You know, suddenly you're going to have fifty MPs. Under investigation, Are you it's sure? not. Yeah, I was like, Amy, um, uh, bold claim. <laughs> Let's start taking bets. But you know, we're not. It, it is the more extreme cases, but it cannot be right that you or I, for the same behaviour, would be fired from our jobs. Yeah, but an MP can continue to get away with it under the guise of M morally it's, it's wrong yeah. it's and unfair i mean it goes against the, the mood of the yes. country i think yes. well yeah but i think i think it, it more than it being unfair it it's like there's there's a different set of rules yeah and i think just because you get elected doesn't mean that you play by a different set of of rules than the rest of us when it comes to being in the world of work and and i think this is where this the stuff that the fda have done on this is is so interesting and it's a really nice case study, which we're hoping that, that everybody will write up for the commission, because it's essentially dealing with third parties undertaking that particular behaviour and, and those particular kind of actions. And it shows that a union can have a voice when it comes to that kind of arrangement where it's not just directly about the employer but it's also about people that come into a particular workplace or contractors you know we can bargain for a set of standards at work which is applicable to anybody who is in that workplace a, com a common floor i mean a common floor of standards rights expectations wherever mm. wherever you work yeah. whoever you are yeah whatever your employment status actually, yeah, whether yeah. you're a worker an employee self-employed whatever and how would you how could you transpose this over to, to different industries? Well, I mean, you know, you could say in a particular geographical in a particular shopping centre, say, we expect people the people who are in this particular shopping centre and the employers and the workers in this particular shopping centre to adhere to a particular code of conduct when it comes to dealing with each other. Well just yeah. let's keep it simple. There have been various ideas over 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 history, over industrial history, where, where it started off as being an outlier and people said, oh, that will never catch on, people won't do that. Right. And by and by, these things become understood on an intuitive level. You know, yeah. they're hardwired yeah. into the psyche of, of just about everyone. So if if someone is still still doesn't get it, they really do stand out as a, as a, as a bad exception, Yeah, I suppose. And of course, we did have, in, in the Equality Act, we had the third-party harassment yeah. um, clause, yeah. which did yeah. allow people to take complaints if... if um, a third party was harassed, and then that was obviously repealed um, when the coalition government um, came in. But there was there was that element there, so it's not unheard of that we've already had um, a protection like that. We're not talking about anything that's you know. You're not being revolutionary. No, we're sort of saying don't sexually harass your staff. It's not really, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, guys. This should be. I'm using. Sorry, I shouldn't use this. <laughs> People. This should just be standard. Yeah, the, I mean, it's quite interesting um, with that, some of the things that we were dealing with in the House of Commons where, you know, they were saying, we were talking about having a new policy board, um, you know, introduced and being allowed to take past cases under the policy. And um, some of the MPs were saying, well, that wouldn't be fair because it's unfair to judge people, um, and, you know, hold them to a standard 
that that wasn't in place before uh, before the policy came in and you think well literally it is just don't sexually harass your staff and don't bully your staff it's not um, anything different than normal workplace behaviour when, when did yeah. you stop bullying your staff <laughs> yes. yeah. that has put on my confused to do face that. Yeah. oh I didn't realise that, that I shouldn't bully and harass people but okay now there's a standard I'll just stop yeah exactly oh god but then sort of coming on to that I think one of the other things that your members have been sort of caught in the middle of or are uh, massively involved in is is brexit basically you know your members are at the heart of it i don't know how to say that with <laughs> being not but being nice. i mean really you know you, it's your members that are writing the, the policies that are trying to kind of unpick some of these trade deals that are trying to kind of guide the I don't inform. know quite inform. Well, uh, I mean, the problem is what we're all looking at each other going. How do we they talk want to about the debate? But but actually, I mean, there 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 are two forces, powerful forces, I imagine, stopping your members fulfilling their statutory moral duty and professional duty to inform the to inform the debate. The the first is that there are all these efficiency savings in government departments, mm-hmm. and okay, people may get allocated to the department for, for exiting the European Union or do that do, do Brexit work, but then. There aren't enough of those people, and they're not being backfilled anyway. I, I mean, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll know much more than that. That's the first powerful force. Second powerful force is, of course, this is a mad, toxic debate that often seems devoid of any rationality. Yeah. I mean, you know, we are we are where we are. Are we? De- oh, Amy, something. You know. Okay. So, um, so over to the- you, Amy. <laughs> Save us. I will. I will try my best. I mean, civil servants are there um, to give uh, ministers impartial advice and expert advice. And civil servants will implement the decisions of ministers. So um, what you actually need is for ministers to make decisions and and then civil servants will go off and and do that. And they'll do that based on that expert advice that they're getting from civil servants. What What we're seeing is obviously, what we've seen over the last two years, is ministers struggling to make those decisions. So and civil, civil so servants, I'm trying that to. Is, that is why Amy does um, the job she does, and we do the job that we do. <laughs> um, so, civil servants will obviously act upon the ministerial decisions. Now, civil servants are there to part of their job is to speak truth unto power, and sometimes that they will have to deliver quite hard messages. And yeah. so, John Thompson, the chief of the HMRC, um, was in front of a select committee a few months ago and said how much Brexit would cost in terms of the HMRC in, in order to, to, to change the way that they do the customs arrangements. So, and that will depend on what deal is done. It's fine, it's all going to be done by technology, Amy, it'll yeah. be fine. But even that has a cost, and even yeah. that has, um, uh, they've got to put in place the, the technology to be able to do that. Mm. Um, now, he's given his advice and says this is how much it costs. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, that something costs money. You know, the NHS costs money, but we all love the NHS. It's not, that's not uh, inherently something that's bad. But John Thompson was back in front of the select committee again today and said that since then he's received death threats. Yes. Um, Yes, death threats um, for since he's been given that advice, and his name was all over the papers, and we had um, sort of Brexiteer ministers that were and, and MPs that were you know really attacking him and criticising him for the advice that he was given, rather than just making the argument, well, look, people have voted for it and it costs money, and everything costs money, good things you know cost money uh, you know and he's saying what he wants and, and this is how we're going to make it work so 
it's astounding. It's we were utterly shocked. Yeah, um, it's, when it's he sick. heard that, to, nobody should be treated like that in their in their job at all. And I think it is this climate that we're we're seeing at the moment of um, you know attacking civil servants, um, and it is undermining that trust and. You know, we've ended up with this quite extreme example today. God, I mean, and also, why would people then put themselves forward to be civil servants if they know that this is the kind of if their expertise is going to be kind of either not listened to, or if when they voice that expertise, they're going to end up in the kind of the the storm yeah. of it all. And uh, you know, I, I just think maybe ten years ago it would have been unthinkable almost that. Y- y- the civil ser- you know almost a civil yeah. servant would be protected by the kind of the the, mini- the ministry yeah. or the the agency that they're I, th- I think that this is I think this is politics today I think yeah. there is an element of that I think 10 years ago it would probably been quite unthinkable that um, po- politicians and MPs were getting death threats but you know we all see we are, we, the, yeah. the, the, the way that um, you know people like Diane Abbott gets get spoken to um, you know many um, particularly female MPs, the way they get spoken to um, is utterly appalling. And I think it is, you know, that social media kind of um, people are uh, tweeting and, and not really considering not really, this yeah. is a person at the end of it. So I think that there is an element of this is politics today and it's quite frightening. But it's also this, this situation that we live in that actually the civil servants are there to implement a vision. Mm-hmm. Um, they were there, they... they you know, when uh, the, the 1945 government was elected and they had the vision of the welfare state and the NHS, they implemented that vision. And they will implement, you know, the minimum wage and all those sorts of things, all those things that we love and we think are brilliant. And they will do, that's their job. That yeah. is the job of the civil servant, is to is to implement the decisions of ministers. Mm. And there is quite a lot about, uh, you know, you kind of, you, you look over across the pond to how the transition from the Obama administration to the Trump administration kind of didn't go because there's so many political as opposed to civil appointments. Mm -hmm. Um, And and when I looked at that, I kind of felt quite heartened by the continuity of the civil service in the UK because you kind of feel like, well, you know, they they know what they're... There's more of them, they know what they're talking about and they can give that impartial advice. And... In this country, we kind of have a history of listening to that impartial advice. Absolutely. And now it just feels like... And I think this is almost coming back to the question you asked originally, Simon, about why would people join their union? People have a professional pride, whatever they do Mm -hmm. in their work, and they want that dignity at work. Being part of a union is a Mm no-brainer. Yeah. In that, isn't there? Absolutely, and I think I think one of the things. Um, so I used, to, as you know, I used to work for the Royal College of Midwives. Um, and people, when I moved um, over to um, the FDA, people would say, "Oh, that's really different." You know, midwives and senior civil servants. What you know, that must be so different um, members to, to represent. And I would say, well, actually, when you go and speak to a senior civil servant or you go and speak to a midwife, they're kind of saying the same things. Mm. They love their job. And they just want to be able to do their job to the best of their ability, have the resources and the time to be able to do that. And that's the same with civil servants. I speak to them, they love their jobs. They they mm-hmm. really take a lot of professional pride in what they do. They want to do a good job, but they want the time and the resources to be able to do that. And, you know, as, as Simon said before, what we've got is we've got 
uh, a big job of recruiting lots and lots of um, uh, civil servants to deal with the Brexit challenge, and and that's across many different departments. You know, it's not just in the in the ones that were created in to deal specifically with um, the negotiations with the EU. You've got issues in the Home Office, in Defra, in HMRC. They'll they'll all need new staff. So you've got a lot of people that are working a lot more hours than they should be to try and get their mm. job done because they're short staffed. But they do genuinely care about what they do and they want to do a good job and I think that they see being as a member of a trade union we're able to articulate why they should have the resources that they need to, to be able to do their job. It's about respect. It is, it is about and respect. And dignity at work. It, mm. and, as well as the interests of the company, yeah. uh, of the country and the economy and all things that are good. That's it. I mean, well, I mean if you're a senior, senior civil servant and you haven't joined FTA then... If that wasn't a compelling enough reason, the, the you union's, join. You the union's join. website is www.fda.org.uk. <laughs> Amy, thank you very much indeed. And listeners, hope you weren't kind of too depressed by by that. Oh, it's, sorry. A, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's usually that's my job to depress <laughs> everyone. It's, 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 it's grim out there, but there is there is power in a union. There is light in the darkness, etc., etc. Thank et you for uplifting us at the end. Ah. We'll bring in the gospel choir in just a moment. <laughs> just, a, just a moment. So, Becky, you've mentioned the Commission for Collective Voice a couple of times. Yes. Just remind listeners what we're trying to do and how they can contribute. This is an 18-month project to look at collective voice and collective bargaining in the world of work and especially thinking about the 21st century and the type of jobs that we're going to be doing. We are in the evidence-gathering process right now, so that basically means... If you are in a workplace and you have an idea about how you can have collective voice in that workplace, drop us a line. If you are part of a collective voice mechanism, doesn't that just trip off the tongue? Uh, can you tell us what you what that means and why it works? Basically, um, at the end of this, we want to show a whole range of people the importance of collective voice for the 21st century, what it should look like or one of the various options that could be available to people and how we can get from point A to point B. Best idea wins wherever it comes from. So not as a challenge. I have to say thanks to all the academics so far who have been in touch with Glee over that. I've had offers of statistical analysis, which I have grabbed with both hands and kind of, you know, run run with. But look, who, wherever, uh, wherever a listener is from with an idea about it, whatever country you're from, uh, whatever bargaining mechanism you have, if you can tell us why you think it's good and how you think it would work for the 21st century, then drop us a line at worksforus at unions21.org.uk. There's a challenge and an opportunity. Listen, so whether you work in McDonald's, whether you work in Weatherspoons, whether you work at Kew Gardens, whether you're a civil servant, whether you're in the private sector, we, we need your stories about what works for you at work. So... The ball is in your in your court. Yeah, we put the ball in your court, and with that, <laughs> and with, with with that, as ever, listeners, we've been very grateful for your company during this podcast. Uh, if you want to join the debate, you can email us your ideas, your thoughts, your criticisms, your praises, <laughs> your your just your praises. Just, oh, well, Becky says just your praises. <laughs> uh, it's info at unions twenty one dot org dot 
www.thepodcastmarketingcoach.uk. We really do need your views and, and feedback. We're very grateful for those who, you, who do take the time to contact us with your ideas about what should be in the programme, what you've liked, and what also, you haven't liked. And also, if uh, through whichever podcast provider that you are listening to this on, please rate and share us with your colleagues. The more shares and the more likes we have, the higher up we go on the algorithms and more people can see the fabulous world of unions in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> Glamour. <laughs> we thrills, want the glamour people. <laughs> Before this gets too, too too silly, we'll be back with the next our next podcast in a couple of weeks. Our guest on that one is going to be Patrick Roach, Deputy General Secretary of the NAS UWT, talking about the problems facing uh, facing his members and members in the teaching uh, profession. We'll have all about the Commission for Collective Voice. Plus, As always. Uh, plus uh, a look forward to what we can expect in the remainder of the year uh, from... Uh, politicians and leading industrialists and leading trade union figures so until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye (laughs) from me Podcast was presented by Becky Wright and Simon Sapper. It was a makes you think production.